I'm Billy Miller, and welcome to the High Note Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Jesse Hill. And I'm Hank Berman. And we are joined by the one, the only, Billy Miller. How you doing, Billy? <laughs> I'm tall and good looking, man. There you go, man. There you go. He was. Don't hold back. That's Let him right. know. <laughs> That's right. Hank, how was your week, man? Good. My week was good, uh, other than banging my hands up, like I was talking about earlier, and moving uh, storage units. But uh, oh, yeah, there's worse things. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play? Perfect. There you go. Yeah, that was me. So what about yours? It was good. It's been crazy busy. I thought January was going to be dead and uh, just shot up, which is a, it's a blessing. Not in music, my other stuff, but um, it's been it's been good. Busy's good? Like, yeah. Like, like Mr. Miller. That's I mean, right. You're always busy. I know, man. So tell us- Came let's, straight from court to here. I was about to say, man. That, so, it, that explains my being overdressed for no, this no, rather we're, informal interview. We are underdressed. I'm gonna have to go get some more clip-ons. I feel clip like on Jackie ties. Wilson. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, you look you look fly, man. I like the navy. I like the red. It's uh, it's very. Is that classy. an homage to your uh, law school? No. Okay. I like navy and I like red. Sometimes I put them together. So what do you get? I don't know. Don't make me go all Marshawn Lynch <laughs> on you. You know, at, at any moment, this interview could go like that, and I, oh. I could start responding in and, monosyllabic grunts. And then we would have it on video now, so you would be <laughs> like, right. oh, look at that guy. He's a prima donna. He is a tool. He's a tool. We knew he was a devo. A tool chest. So, Billy, let's talk about, uh, man, I've been seeing your name everywhere lately. I know you're at the White House. I saw you a couple times at... Um, I didn't see you, but I saw the advertisement. Uh, where Ground was Zero. Ground Zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, you're just making like a, a nice little, you know, trek around the coast. It's really nice to see. Uh, late in life comeback. There, there you go. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's no such thing as late in life. It's That's always, right. It's always, yeah. it's always life, man. But you, uh, I remember when I was a kid and I was like starting, uh, you'd pop in and uh, where was it at? Manhattan Grill. Manhattan Grill. Yeah. And you'd pop in there and be, hey man, let me sing a song. So you come up on the mic and- yeah. Do you think so? And with your daddy. That's right. Who's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. So uh, talk to us about, I want to hear your story about, I've, I've been hearing, uh, what is it, the whole billion, what was that spar called? Uh, the Hole in the Wall? Hole in the Wall. Hole in the Wall. That was yeah. a very famous Many uh, people come up here establishment and start talking about that. That, yeah. that Billy had on Pass Road. Yeah. So let's just talk to us about your story about music and, and I know you're a lawyer, so let's just dive in. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew this was coming up, so I, I kind of was trying to put a chronological bent to my responses. Uh, um, on my Facebook page, there's a picture of me, like I'm four years old in Wiesbaden, Germany, and I'm uh, laying on the floor, sucking on my thumb with all these 45s strewn around the room and one of those old-time record players, you know, that had the top, the clothes and all right. that. And um, I was listening to Elvis records because it was 1959 and Elvis was in Frankfurt and I was in Wiesbaden and it's all I heard, this Mississippi boy. Oh, that's right. Know? He was stationed over there. Yeah. And so that's all I ever wanted to be, uh, you know. So at that early on. age, you already knew oh, that yeah. music was going to encompass your life in one form or the other? I can't remember not singing, you know. Um, my mama uh, used to sing to me when I was a little boy, uh, Sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening, 
sugar at supper time. And had a, she had a sweet, beautiful voice. And uh, and it, I just started loving music. And uh, and from there, you know, we got back over here and stuff. And uh, I guess, uh, you know, 64, Beatles, Ed Sullivan, everybody's, uh. But I wasn't a Beatles guy so much. Uh, I appreciated their pop artistry and all that. But I liked rough edge stuff, um, the animals. So you were more of a, there, there was always the two camps. There was always the Beatle camp and the Stones. Stones. Stones were the bad boys. Yeah, but my favorite band was the animals. The animals, yeah. I loved the animals, man. It was gritty uh, R&B stuff. Yeah. And I had two older sisters, um, and I was the beneficiary of, of their largesse in, in giving me this musical education. Otis Redding, uh, Sam Cooke, uh, all the, the- All the Stax records, all the- Stax, uh, the, the, all Stax, the, yeah, Stax the, yeah. Atlantic was big on yeah. uh, uh, and, um, R&B. Around this time, um, Thomas and I, Thomas Edwards, um, got to be great friends. We were about 11 years old, I guess. And uh, we both wanted to play guitar but Thomas was good at it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I came from a family, we weren't poor, but we were per- near close to, to poor. So um, my daddy got me like a Zimgar guitar. I don't even know. I, that one got past me. Uh, Z-I-M-G-A-R. Is, it, this, is, it, did, is this one of those like the Sears thing or, you know, or, uh, or, you know yeah, um, Western Auto? You know, I've posted about that Zimgar uh, guitar before and, People have come back and said, "Hey, I had one." Really? Yeah. It was a guy at Guitar Center Mobile too. Um, I was telling him about it one time. And he, I had a Zimgar too, but mine, the action was about eighty inches <laughs> off the neck, and the strings were all rusty, and I couldn't figure out how do these people do this. And my little fingers were bleeding and all that. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, Thomas is getting really good on guitar and. Mick Jagger didn't play guitar. <laughs> Blows a mean harp. So, so all I wanted to be was a front man um, from that point on. Real quick, though, uh, that's an interesting point without meaning to, I guess, bringing that up, that uh, it's it's for parents. It's a kind of a, this double-edged sword thing. You know, as mom and dad, they're not sure what Junior is going to do or, or their little girl is going to do or whomever these days. Um, so they don't want to invest a lot of money in an instrument. And and that's understandable, you know. I want to sit there and then have to deal with it, dusting it off or whatever. But the problem with that is their cheap guitars are hard to play. Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. probably been since the beginning of the instrument, at least uh, in rock and roll era, there's probably been so many people that could have been good at it, but were fighting that obstacle to begin with. It's an interesting See, thought. Yeah, yeah, but mine was like that. My yeah, first guitar but. was like actions this high yeah but yeah if you got that burning desire well, and if you were put here on this planet to play the guitar well that that could be you, you know. you'll you'll play a stick of wood yeah you know um but anyway so thomas and i i, I remember the first song we learned was uh here come the hoodie good oh. man singing songs of love donovan so, do you know who played guitar on that jimmy page that's right and who was playing bass on that uh john paul jones that's right He's we got the man knows what he's talking about. Ooh. At least they were, our, they're, that's they're our lucky. era. So. Very lucky. <laughs> well, and 
Uh, Tom Snyder talked about this a million times too. When we were little kids, um, uh, like my daddy had a ball punk uh, stereo that he brought back from Germany, but that was his. You know what I mean? That was for him to put on uh, Louis Primo. I can I can relate. Wonderland by Night and all that right. kind of stuff. Um, so I, I never really had anything. We had little cheap transistor radios and stuff, but we listened to WTIX mm-hmm. uh, Tiger Radio. And I'm going to tell y'all, it was one amazing song after the other. It was ranged from Beatles, Stones, Kinks, Procol Harum um, on that side mm-hmm. to Temptations, Diana Ross and the Supremes, Four Tops, and just great song after great song after great song. And uh, I was I was thinking about it. Like I said, I did try and think a little bit before I came here today. Um, I got my master's in English literature uh, back in the day before I went to law school, and I, my concentration was the Romantic poets, Byron, Shelley, and Keats. So it's generally accepted uh, that started off like in 1798, Wordsworth's lyrical ballads. And there was this creative explosion, and it was organic poetry, and it was uh, poetry... Uh, using everyday language and all that. So up until that point in English literature, they hadn't had that. This was no, like, like what the beat poets did in the 50s. It had been highly formalistic. I got okay? So I compare the flowering of music in the 60s, and I, I, I really, I, I'd say I'd use 55 to about 73. Um it was just a creative explosion. And I compare it back to that romantic poetry period because there's never been another explosion of poetry since. Right. And that was 225 years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, and so now I see everybody harkens back to the era in, in which I grew up and... You know, I'm not saying it was better, but I'm saying it was better. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I understand. It, and I think you're absolutely right as far as the explosion of, I mean, it's went from a different direction after after the war, you know, post-war America, you know, I mean, they were coming out of, it was very complacent. I mean, you know, finally after after the war, you know, and Eisenhower years and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden... You know, um, you've got the crooners. We talked about that before. The you know the big bands, and then all of a sudden, here's rock and roll and Little Richard, and Little you know, Richard. and then the white guys try to influence it with Pat Boone and and those guys doing uh, you know what's the what's the Little Richard song? Uh, good Good Golly, Miss Molly, or, or, Tutti Frutti, Tutti Frutti, yeah. and, there's, there, and there's, oh, there's, there's there's Pat Boone and his white bucks. You know, Tutti Frutti. Oh, yeah. Rudy. <laughs> oh, you've got, like, you've got you've got you've got the hand. <laughs> the yeah, you got hey, all right, yeah, Andy Williams show. There you go. And I like those guys too in their place, but you know, but that's not rock and roll, and that's not the explosion of it, like you said. Right. Music, music's evolved. I'm a huge fan, of course, of pre forty and 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 mm-hmm. more time, but music evolved because it had to. And I, 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 of course, rock and roll comes out of that, right? That, that crooning feel, the big band feel, and it's just a natural thing. But so, I mean, that's why I'm a, I'm a Frank Sinatra fan, but also I'm a huge Beatles or Eagles fan. Sure. Because it all comes out of where the the, the people want to hear it. It's, it's amazing. I think it's one of the best things you can be as well rounded musically. I mean, why why cut something off just for the sake of uh, it's different? And that's whatever. when that's and, and like that's we, always happened. We came back to this. That's when people 
dictated, like the, the listeners dictated who was on the rise, who was not. Now it's, you know, it's changed, but. Right. I think um, yeah, to be a musician, uh, to really call yourself a musician, you have an obligation to be a historian. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I heard a comedian the other night, maybe Stephen Colbert, uh, talking about a Gen X or saying, oh man, what are you talking about? That movie was made before I was born. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so with music, you know, I really trace everything back to Louis Armstrong, mm -hmm. but of course there's stuff before mm -hmm. him, but we just don't have the benefit of the recordings. But I told my son who, you know, showed uh, promise on guitar and stuff, uh, Son, when you hear a song that you like, find out that musician's influences mm -hmm. and then go back and listen to them and then find out their influences and see how everybody stood on the shoulders of giants. You know? That's true. And they still do. You know, it's like, that's why I appreciate what you do so much, Jesse, because, you know, what a what an incredible period uh, of music, 40s, you know? Um, I, can, I can listen to it all day and... And you kill it. You know? Appreciate it. Appreciate I rem it. I remember, Agree. I remember when he was first coming to Manhattan Grill and stuff, and I was like, damn. Then I found out Bill was his dad, and he went, well, that's where the talent is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, well, especially, you know, that, that brings in the social aspect of music and influencing, you know, certainly the war. You know, it's like, it's like now, if you look at, not, not to switch gears a minute, but like movies. You know, uh, my wife and I went to the movie a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, see whatever it was. And the previews, I'm watching the previews and I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's a reflection of society. 90% of them were fantasy, escapism, something that isn't real, you know, and, and okay, that, you know, the Marvel stuff and all that thing. It's like, it's, it's a horrible you know, state it, of affairs right now. It is. It's in disarray. It's, it's terrible, you know, and people just want to be entertained one way or the other and forget about it, at least for an hour or two hours, you know? I saw an article the other uh, day about closed captioning and how um, a lot of people were using closed captioning all the time, not because they can't hear, um, uh, but it's their only way they can try and focus and and keep attention on the movie as really? it goes along. What's See, crazy is we watch, I, it's crazy. I'm you do that? Life, I actually have the captions on everything because sometimes I'm zoning out or something and it'll help me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I use, I've been using closed captions for years. <laughs> really? I, I use it too. I use it too just because also, you know, like at my house, I've got a seven channel stereo system built in and all that kind of stuff. But dialogue uh, there's a generation of actors that have come along now because of advances in microphone technology mm -hmm. for actors. Um, you know, you can you wear your clip-ons and all that. Well, it's encouraged a generation of actors to kind of mumble a little bit when they're, you know, kind of really? morose and all that. And it, dialogue just drops out. And then the next scene, boom! Yeah, right <laughs> in your face. You're like, oh, Wow. Yeah. I, I never thought of using... To me... Having that's, that's, y'all are why, that's why we should hang around more. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't hear what you said. It, it, it's it, it, it's but to me being the the odd man out with this, um, my take on it would be that it would be distracting. Whereas obviously it's not because you guys are getting something out of it. But I'd be like trying to okay and looking at the picture. Well, at first, like when I started dating my wife, I was like, can we turn these off? 
And so we would turn them off, but then we would have this problem where this movie was made for, uh, you know, Dolby X or whatever. And, right. we, we, and we got the little, you know, we're listening through the TV. We're poor. We're, you know, just kids. And uh, so we, I started putting the, the caption on. But also I learned this too. I'm on my second child. One's five. One's going to be two. When they're sleeping and you still want to watch that movie, you turn that thing low and you just watch them caption. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. that's where. That, okay, yeah, that's, that it's, I it's get. Benefi- yeah, it's, that, been, it's gotten beneficial. I used to have wireless headphones uh, when my kids were small and stuff, and there's and my mm-hmm. health healthy wife was always asleep early, <laughs> and I was wanting to watch movies. You just put the wireless wireless synthesizers <laughs> and hey. <laughs> So. And, and speaking of like when it comes to like motion pictures and movies and just entertainment like music is not just what's on the radio i mean you watch this you watch a movie and without that that music we've talked about this before it is bland there's no emotional yes. feel like music makes to me the sound the music there, makes them absolutely there's no better uh director to to uh underscore that point than scorsese mm-hmm. he he is his music selection is so perfectly plotted to the ongoing action you know mm-hmm. think about the uh the scene in goodfellas when rags to riches when ray liotta Le- 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 is yeah. like they're coming to get, get oh me. yeah the, the, the paranoia and the cocaine uh, and the it, choppers yeah. and, was it was it layla what was it during dun, that that i don't dun, remember that dun, dun, he's good at, scorsese was always good at juxtaposing the, uh, the, like something upbeat and a very sad situation mm-hmm. john i mean uh, john williams and and uh, uh hans zimmer no, no, the the director, the big one. The, oh, um, shoot. Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg's very hands-on with the music. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I couldn't remember his name. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, Hopefully but, this won't reach him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was watching there, uh, a clip of a, a, a Scorsese movie the other night. Um, it's the one, the Bronx Tale, I think it is. Oh, it's a good movie. Yeah, and where the biker's going to the thing and he closes. Now you can't leave, he says. You know, they, they're being all badass. But- but it's this kind of 50 doo-wop, whatever song it was in the back, and they're beating the crap out of mm-hmm. each other. But, oh, yeah. But, or, or Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. All stuck of those. in the middle with you. Yeah, right. It's, yeah, all those. That, that dance scene was improvised by that Oh, is that, that right? Actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Great movie. But anyway, you know, back but to all me. That stuff. Yes. There you go. It's all on you, <laughs> Mr. Red Tie. Yes. So, um, so I don't know, what, what are we, like 11 years old whatever? And... um. I started getting into like motorcycles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, Thomas and I were always saw each other, you know, but he went to Michelle Junior High and I went to Fernwood and all that. And then um, when I, we were probably around 16 or so, Thomas had a rock and roll band. And Thomas was just a fiery lead guitar player. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody on the coast uh, recognized, even at that early age, how great he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted me to come audition for this band that he uh, was doing. And uh, I think it was Tony. Uh, Tony Tony Miguez? No, no Tony Miguez is mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what was that? Tony, uh, G- Tony Gag- Alombro? G- G- Gagliano. Oh, t- Tony Gagliano, Ocean Springs. Okay. So they bring me over there in my audition song. Now keep in mind, I'm from a blue-eyed soul background, you know? I'm not a Led Zeppelin singer by any means. Stairway to Heaven. No. <laughs> and I sucked. <laughs> oh, man. And they, they gently ushered me out the door and everything. <laughs> and any other man would have been crushed. His dreams would have laid flat on the floor. But uh, no, instead I 
I went off in the Navy and <laughs> all That's that. That's right. I forgot you were, yeah, you were in the service. Right. So, uh, so anyway, you originally, this this uh, diatribe started with a question about Billy's Hole in the Wall. I was getting out of the Navy. Um, I spent my last two and a half years at the CB base because my job down in Pensacola where I was first stationed, uh, I, I joined on my 17th birthday, so I'm 17 years old down there. And my job was doing transfers between stations and all that. And I got to be friends with this guy up in D.C. And I, I said, I'm going home to Bluxy every weekend. I mean, at that time, the Fiesta was huge. and you know The I, vapors. I, and and all I, yeah, and, and, you know, it's 1972, 73, and everybody's hair is down the middle of their back. And, and I said, I might as well be home. Next week, man, the Navy did my bidding <laughs> and sent me to the CB base for that last two and a half years. Oh. But anyway, so um, I'm about to get out, and there was a little joint called the Speakeasy. And uh, I started dating this girl whose brother owned it. And he got in trouble with state tax uh, commission, sales tax and all that. And I had leave pay saved up. And I'm 20 years old. I'm not even old enough to own the bar yet. I said, I'll go in halves with you. I'll pay you back taxes and all that. And in that six-month period that we were partners, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to detail exactly the things that he did, but we had fights, guns, uh, things like that. And I went to Boyce Holloman, the great attorney down here, on my 21st birthday. And I told him what had been going on. I said, I want it by myself. He said, Billy, I'm going to give it to you for $200 a month, and I never want to hear from you again. In other words, you take care of everything that goes wow. on there. So um, that's 76, so I'm 21, my 21st birthday, I opened that up. And we started having jam sessions. And <laughs> the famous story Thomas will tell you, um, I always needed him to to have the jam, you know, because... Thomas can play anything, mm -hmm. a million songs. And one time Thomas said, I'm not coming up there unless you come over and mow my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> That's Thomas Edwards. <laughs> and damn, if I didn't go over there and mow his, his lawn and say, all right, now let's get up to the bar. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. That's a Thomas story. <laughs> So, you want to you get something out of the deal? <laughs> oh, Thomas, man. You know, I, I, uh, oh, that's great. I, I love Thomas so much. He's like, you know, as close, closer than my own brother yeah. was to me. Um, and, you know, when I write songs and stuff, if I've written my lyrics well enough, the melody suggests itself to me, you know? So I call Thomas over and I sing it to him. And in five minutes, we have a chord structure, mm -hmm. just everything. And then by the time you go to record, he's playing the bass, he's playing yeah. the lead guitar, the rhythm, doing this, doing that. Um, he makes it very, very easy. But anyway, so the jam sessions uh, begat my band Footloose. Um, and let me caution you, this was 1977. Way before the damn movie. I was about to say, yeah. So you beat him to it. Way before the damn movie. You beat him to it. We need some royalties over here. I took it from... Um, they the, stole from you. Well, I took it from that line, um, uh, at her feet was a footloose man from uh, uh, the Stones song. But anyway, so uh, that was Tony Miguez, 
well, not originally. I forgot to tell you. Little Tony Miguez, Rat Miguez, yeah. he started coming up to the jam sessions when he was 15. And he was from the point, man, and we'd all been hearing about this phenom and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time he was 17, um, we replaced one of the guitar players with Rat and brought him out on the road with us. And uh, I've heard of his name recently, actually. I think my dad, yeah. my dad. He's like Billy said, he's been around. He's a good player. Good oh, guy. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. a good guy. Wonderful guy. And born to be on the stage. Yes. I mean, you know. Uh, but my other guitar player was a guy named Ray Cat that Hank might remember. Uh, trying to place Ray. Ray, um, Ray was so good, Johnny Hosey used to come see us Is that right? to try and figure out how he was doing stuff. Ultimate compliment. Yeah. You know? um, but anyway, Wayne Mitchell on drums, Rick Gamard mm -hmm. on bass and stuff. I know Rick. We played together... Uh, couple of years or whatever back in the days when you had a massive pa system oh you, yeah you had one truck just designated for pa and one truck for the rest of us yeah and our final gig was in lafayette louisiana uh not lafayette uh, uh port well just in louisiana outside, just outside of lafayette okay so you know it's a long ass drive that is two trucks and all that we get over there it's uh uh guy named Pookie Marceau owned the joint. It was huge. And he had an apartment above the, the club. And it was like Southwest Louisiana's homecoming night or something. And nobody came to the club. They were oh, at whatever. Right. And so he brings me up to his apartment and he says, let's get high. So we smoked some pot. And he said, Billy, I don't know how to tell you this, but I can't pay you, but you give me your address. I'll send you the money. And I said, Let's bring the rest of the band up here and get them high. <laughs> but that was the final straw. Uh, uh, the uh, music biz, gotta love it. Oh man, uh, the band broke up, and my heart was so broken um, that I just my my agent out of New Orleans, Big J Productions, uh, put me with a band called uh, Toys T O Y Z, um, which was. There was Zebra, and then yeah. Footloose was his second band in that stable, and then Toys. The lead singer had been arrested for knocking over a convenience store. <laughs> it's tough being a musician, man. Make it ends meet. So, keep, your, so, keep your gun clean. So, yeah. so <laughs> I, I went and rehearsed with him down the warehouse district for like a week, and we had a six-night job at uh, Fat City, yeah. some club down there. Yeah, Fat City. And uh, on Friday night, I said, all right, man, I'll see you all tomorrow night. But as I was driving away, I went, I'm never going to be in a band where the keyboard player sings immigrant song like, We've come from the land of the ice and snow, <laughs> midnight sun. <laughs> I cringed every damn time. I was like, can you all not hear this? Sounds like a German drinking song. <laughs> or a Scandinavian one. So I quit. <laughs> I quit. Oh, wait a minute, you never went back to do the gig? No, I didn't go oh, back to Saturday no. night. <laughs> no, because I quit the music business. I, oh, I just, it wasn't just the band. It was oh, the, the whole, whole business. Thing. That was I went back bad performance. <laughs> I, I went to school Come for to the, the night. Under the ice. I got to learn that song just to <laughs> I, I, sing it like that and drive uh, Billy uh, up a wall. Oh, man. Uh, anyway, so I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so, so I spent the next nine straight years in school. But before I went off to school and stuff, that massive PA system I had, uh, I sold it to a fellow named Clyde Holly, 
You yeah, Clyde. Clyde had the recording studio down here. Right. Had a hit song of Bluxy, recorded song of Bluxy. Well, his band's name was Bluxy. Was oh, that what it what was? And this? they were huge in Japan. They really were. Of course they were. Um, I guess with my PA system. Well, yeah, it's probably what was the creme de la creme. <laughs> but the worst part about it, I, I swear to God, I think just my power rack probably was like $7,500 worth of stuff. I sold in everything. For fifteen hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! Giant Alcheck lands. Oh Voice wow. of the theaters as crossfire monitors behind the front PA. I mean, and then the front PA was like stacks of JBL. Wow. And, oh man. But anyway, Clyde uh, took it and and did well. So, Good. So How about like, that? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Now you're talking about the equipment and all. And all equipment back then, Jesse, weighed a ton and was oh, so. Yeah. Huge. I mean, it was just cumbersome, and and I, that's one of the things I found out. Again, I found all kinds of equipment I had that, man. I mean, like those old PV speaker, the SP ones and twos. That these things weighed a ton. My dad, when I got started, I was actually using Coast's old equipment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when, of course, bows and stuff came out. But I remember how. Oh, it was heavy. It was, but. Also, a lot of that older equipment, I don't know if, the, if you, maybe even your system, it's probably made in America being back that far. Yeah. That was before. Yeah, like, it was like crown powering. Yeah. It was yeah probably I mean, that's heavy the, duty stuff, what Billy had. It probably still works today. I was doing a solo. <laughs> dip, probably oh, yeah, yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was doing a solo duo and we used to play David M's on the beat. Mm-hmm. And and <laughs> I felt bad for those barbacks because they're going to bring the equipment in. And I knew how much it weighed. I had one case that I might. <laughs> my buddy and I, Jeff, had built, we called it the coffin. It was like, it was had these Phillips screws and, and, and it had nothing but racks because back then all the sequencing was monophonic. So you didn't have polyphonic, one thing that would do all the different sounds. This one was for drums. That was bass. That was keyboards. This was, and oh, those wow. guys would struggle with that thing and get it up there and it was like, oh. But thankfully. Oh, yeah. You saying David M's reminds me of something, uh, Hank, when you were booking yeah. uh, bands at David M's. Um, so I quit, what was that in like 1980 or 81 Yeah, and, uh, go back to school and stuff. I come back out of law school. Um, now Bill is holding the wall. And if there's any tax people listening, this, the statute of limitations. <laughs> <laughs> he should know he's an attorney. Yes. But, but that first year I, I couldn't believe how much money, I mean, just, you know, and you know, very minimal taxes uh, yes. on it. But, Seductive. Uh, uh, where was I going with that? Speaking of uh, taxes, this is it's about to be tax season. So if you <laughs> need any pointers, call Billy. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the last person to talk to. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I came back here, and the reason I was talking about Billy's and, and making good money early, um, when I got out of law school, I, 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 my hair was down the middle of my back. And wasn't no white shoe like insurance defense firms gonna hire me, mm-hmm. and I was never gonna work for them anyway because I consider that the evil side of law, you know, uh, defending banks and corporations, right. and the monsters, insurance the... companies. Uh, insurance companies are the focus of evil in the modern world. But uh, I mean, you could have actually have a lot of talks. So I would love that. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, but. Um, so I come to work for uh, Levi and Denim here in Ocean Springs, four hundred dollars a week, and my student loans were six hundred a month. <laughs> and I had a little issue house, and I was like, "This doesn't compute and everything." So um, I quit, 
And I moved in the, with this girl that was a tattoo artist at California Tattoo Studio. Um, and I went down to Mississippi Music. Eddie McDaniel was working down here. Mm -hmm. And bought another huge PA system. And she made great cash money every night, came home with cash. So I said, baby, you know, my music will pay for the $600 a month PA note. <laughs> so, we, so Thomas and I put together a band called Hearts and Minds. Well, how Hank figures into this is it was uh, Mardi Gras time, and we had been hired to play on a float, like on a Sunday. And Saturday night was a great night. I mean, I just had a lot of fun. So I just went straight to the float from Saturday oh, night. Oh, boy. And the, pe the people with that uh, crew just wanted me to sing All Right Now over and over oh, and gosh. over. Oh, gosh. All through that cold parade route at the Ooh. top of my range. So, doing your Paul Rogers and so, screeching so it up. Oh. Hank, Hank had booked us at David M's, uh, which was a great club uh, yeah. at, at the time. And it was six weeks later. And I still, the only songs I could sing was Rumors Spread Round about that Texas town. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. Your voice was still stripped from. Oh <laughs> God, it was. I, I was afraid I'd just blown it up permanently. You know? Oh no. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've. I think we've all had the. Uh, maybe you haven't. You. You're. Uh, Might have skated that, but had the uh, brown-eyed girls. The thing. Just play it again. Oh. Do it again. Oh. All right now. That and you're right. That's not an easy song to sing by any uh, means. Uh, my my song that I have been requested to sing three sometimes four is my way. I had a feeling. New York. Um, usually those two. Those are the there. Somebody is about to. I walk in. I'm getting started. It's like my third or fourth song. And they're like, Hey, can you sing me my way before I leave? So I'll sing my way, and then they leave, and then somebody else comes in. Hey, can you sing my way? It, and just it's isn't a, that a drag? How people um uh don't know the greatest music by artists uh, like in other words I, i'm a van morrison fanatic mm -hmm. i mean uh, to me the greatest blue-eyed soul singer that ever lived and when i hear you sing mm -hmm. i think of van morrison that's seriously that's the highest compliment you could give seriously me I, I, when i, I hear I you sing that. i'm just like he's got that van morrison-esque mm -hmm. feel um, and uh, uh anyways, man if i was half as good you know and could could have written half of the songs but a lot of times you tell people Van Morrison and they go, Brown Eyed Girl. Mm -hmm. And I go, Astral Weeks is one of the five best albums ever recorded, mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And they recorded in three days. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. And so Frank Sinatra, you know, that. Oh, yeah. They want to hear. But, but those songs also, for whatever reason, it might be something that happened in their life that they associate the song with. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't know the backstory mm -hmm. with it as well. Yes, there are better. Well, I don't say there's a better song than that. And maybe if you hadn't heard Brown Eyed Girl or My Way 10,000 times, you might have a different take on it to mm -hmm. think back to it. Uh, hey, bar bartender, set, set up another round. Oh, yeah, that's uh, one for my baby. One yeah. for the yeah, that's a one. great song. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, 19, 1949. He, he, he came out with that. What is it? It was in the was... movie uh, Blade Runner, the second Blade Runner. They they featured that song. Really? Yeah. Well, I never it watched it. Probably, it. probably Piscopo did it on uh, It probably Saturday, did. Saturday probably did. <laughs> no, but it was. Um, that's a great song. It's a great song. Now, see, uh, Moondance by Van Morrison. Uh, Buble remade that. And so when I heard it for the first time, it was Michael Buble. So I'm really? like, man, this is a swinging song. I'm listening to it. And then I type it in and it's like Van Morrison. Like, Can I 
I just right. had one. And I was right. like, wow. You know? Well, remember Eric Watkins, good friend, uh, since passed away. Real, with real Hosey gone. Yeah, yeah. He just loves singing he, out. He was the real deal. Uh, played with Boss Gag. Played a lot of stew in the country was happening over there in Bogalusa. A lot of uh, big names, came, like Muscle Shoals. But anyway, he, but his two heroes were uh, Ray Charles and Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. And he could play any of that at any time. It's like, yeah. let's let's do it. Because he and I did a duo for a while. And we had Gene Houston playing drums on the beach at uh, Nickelnoffs. Ah, I remember that. And that was so much yeah. fun. Uh, but but yeah, but he 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 was a great bass player. Just really cool guy. Uh, and I, Van I, Morrison was the man. I'd be remiss, too, if I, I didn't uh, point out a blessing that we had here on the coast. Like, in, this was probably 78. A huge nightclub uh, owned by the Thornton family uh, opened mm-hmm. up called The Factory. That's right, on and, the, on and the, the Thornton. Thornton. Yeah, and the, um, I'd grown up with the Thorntons, Robbie Thornton and mm-hmm. Greg Thornton, Joe Love Thornton. And uh, this place you walked through, it was a, a converted seafood. It's a factory cannery. Factory. Oh, that's cool. And you and they the restaurant itself was just cool as could be. But you walk through it, and there's this huge patio on the outside big enough for about 600 people and they had a barge that was abutted the the patio area and seating on the barge and then a, a tilted down stage <laughs> i mean when i say tilted down i mean it was like on a 10 degree slope right and this was back when i'm in my 20s and so I'm twirling around, jumping, and all this. <laughs> I don't know how. I so didn't was most get, of the audience. <laughs> I didn't, uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. Red get his wireless guitar, and we'd walk through the audience, and people were just handing us stuff. As, <laughs> yeah. But but uh, what I what I say, I'd be remiss in, in saying uh, in not saying is the coast was blessed. There was a great band called Heater. Mm-hmm. Debbie Stanbro, the front Debbie. front man, yeah. and. Uh, uh, the Hoyt brothers, mm-hmm. uh, and they kicked ass. Yeah. She was a great front man. Yeah. And then um, uh, Magic. Yeah. With Mike Jackson, who was one of my favorite singers yeah. ever down here. We did some uh, gigs together too, Mike and I. Oh yeah. He was yeah. He was with Little Ooh. David and the Giants. Oh, he could wail, couldn't he? Ooh. And Brill- Brillo was in. Yeah, Brillo Kippy. playing bass. Um, and then George Mills, Johnny Hosey band. Yeah. Yeah. And then my band, and we would alternate weekends. And we all got the door. This is 1978. Five bucks a hit. 3,000 bucks a night. Friday night, Saturday night. I weep for the musicians of today. Mm-hmm. The kids that are out there right now, there ain't those opportunities anymore. They, they don't have those. Those kind of clubs don't exist. I and, mean, those kind of bars. And, and nothing's whatever. been adjusted for inflation. Hey, yes. if we paid you 50, that is, that if we paid you 50 bucks a head in 1978. You're getting 50 bucks a <laughs> It's like, dang it. Yeah, we no, should you're un- right. We should unionize. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't want to do that either. Just playing. Just on the side. No, but but you're you're right. Uh, there was It was more, uh, there was, people wanted those kind of places. Yeah. It's, it's, this is, and this is before karaoke, and this is mm-hmm. before DJs were well, what they are. And we were the pig and the python, too, the yeah. baby boomer generation. Yeah. We were all hitting that age at the same time. Right. And rock and roll. It, to make a fortune with a rock and roll club, all you had to find was a rectangular building, put a stage on one end, a bar running down the side, open up the door, and charge them five bucks a hit. That's pretty know? much it. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. And now I would say the only proper stage uh, 
that I can think of is, is ground, ground, zero. ground Zero. Yeah, Ground Zero. Sta- stagecoach, uh, I will say, uh, before Ground Zero, at least their stage was elevated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's something I, I, that I will say that places I play at today. And that makes a difference, elevated and I, stage. And I, won't, and I won't say names. Yeah. But it would make sense if we had, if we had a stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I... Uh, sure. Well, even when there's not music going on, as if somebody's in there, they say, "Oh, they'll know you have music. They'll see the stage." Because a lot of it a lot of people curiosity. Because a lot of people, I'll just say it right now, the Pearl. A lot of people on the other side of the wall. I'll be singing, and I sing, I've I've told you this. I've sang the songs thousands of times, so I've really I know how to do the inflections, and and I don't overbear bear it. So it does sound like background music. So people are talking and stuff, and as they're getting up for the meal, they're seeing somebody singing. They're like, "Dude, you've been singing this whole time." I thought that was the radio, but they don't know because when they walk in. It's dark but, and we're but, on ground level. So. But sometimes that's not a bad thing. It's like we had discussed it's not, before. It's not bad, but um, I, I would one uh, day like I'm see. too much of a diva. <laughs> well, we're, you I, know. I, it pisses me off if, if, if people, <laughs> well, are, people are out there talking well, and stuff. I'm t- like, I'm bearing my soul. You know, I have a pinched <laughs> nerve at the bottom of my rib cage and I'm hitting high notes. <laughs> see, they don't understand you. You're an artist. That's right. You don't understand me, man. I'm an artist. You just don't get me, man. You don't man. get it, man. I'm leaving home. Oh, that's right. I'm running away from home at at, and, at 75. And also, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I have the mortgage on it, but that's not the point. That's right. I have, I have a good Where, idea. Where's my depends? I have a good idea. And I'm going to throw this out there. Whoever does it, does it. But I've been hearing all these stories from other musicians, and you were talking about, the fa- this is the first time I've heard The Factory. But yeah, The Factory Fiesta, was cool. Uh, Billy's Hole in the Change Wall. Change the Eden, Mick. But what I'm saying is, what if what, imagine if there was a place around here that was like a bar or a restaurant or something that pays homage to all those places in the past oh, that'd be cool. coast, and you call it something to where it's it's about you know the good old days or something. But when you walk in there, there's pictures of local musicians all. Boy, I, I wonder if those pictures exist. Y'all, y'all, um, that'd be after cool Johnny Hosey died. Let let me let me back up before I talk about Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was off stage for about twenty years. Um. I got married and uh, I'd been retired until I was like 38. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get married till I was 38. I think I had a, a pair of blue jeans and a suit uh, and a little 78 280Z when I got married. And I was like, man, I've got a beautiful wife. I want to have children and stuff. I got to work, you know? Mm-hmm. So I worked and worked and worked and worked. Well, you know, all good things must come to an end. So uh, after about 13 years of, of great marriage, um, Katrina hit, and I was like, hmm, I think I'll become a wine connoisseur. <laughs> I hadn't had like a beer in 13 years, right. and my wife, is, you know, yoga and is the most healthy, beautiful woman in the world. Um, and after that decision to become a wine connoisseur, a month later I bought Mosaic, the little lounge yeah. downtown. Yeah. So Arturo and I were partners and brought in great music and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But so I'd been off stage for about 20 years and I'd written a song back in like 1990 at the old Bombay Bicycle Club in the most cliche fashion possible. A verse came to me and I got a cocktail napkin. There you go. I got the first verse down. It was called Ain't Supposed to Be This Way. And it was eerily prescient of the breakup of my marriage. Oh. And I'd written it, you know, five years before I even met my uh, wife. Oh, wow. So um, Glenn Matina um, heard it, and, you know, he's a promoter and all that. And he said, Billy, uh, why don't you do like a benefit show at the Beau Rivage? And he got me um, 
the big studio there, whatever they call it, a uh, Magnolia Studio. And he said, yeah, and, you know, your band can play in a lot. I was like, yeah, okay. I didn't have no damn band. You know, it ain't supposed to be this way. It was me and Thomas. Right. So um, uh, I called Thomas and said, man, we got to put together a band. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Johnny Hosey, who most folks, um, you know, I for all around guitar playing, mastery, you know, Thomas is my guy. But Johnny Hosey as a lead guitar player, I don't think anybody approached him. He, he His playing just wrung every bit of emotion mm -hmm. out of that fretboard, you know. And just a great guy and great on stage. Then Daryl Brown mm -hmm. to play the B3. Pat McGinley, mm -hmm. the great drummer. Josh Fall uh, on bass, who's the go-to bass player. Josh is a good know. player. No oh, yeah. Uh, a chick from Nashville, session singer up there, um, and a chick from a black gospel church. So I had two uh, backup female vocalists. Anyway, we went down there, and um, and <laughs> it was kind of strange. Like, the newspaper back at the time had the marquee and all that, and they did this big article, The Return of Billy Miller. Like... <laughs> I think this is a little overblown, y'all. <laughs> hey, Carnegie said there's no such thing as bad publicity. That's right. Take it. Take it. <laughs> oh, I did run with, with it. Yeah. You know, was but, this um, the beginning of the Soul that Savants? Was, that was the first Soul Savants band. Which I was told, Billy, I thought that was is the greatest name for a band. Yeah, Soul yeah. Who, who, so, we, we mentioned it and somebody was like, man, that's a really good name. That's Thanks. a great name for a Thanks, band. Thanks, man. You know uh, how we came up with that? I had Soul and I kept putting something with Soul and finally... Oh, savants. How the hell did you come up with savants, though, with soul? Soul you know, power, soul food, soul, you know. You, you know, uh, savant. That's, in the old days, we used to call uh, folks idiot savants that were only good, like, at one thing. That's right. Like Glenn Gould on the piano, you know, just could play anything on the piano right. here at one time. Well, soul savant is only term. good at soul, you know? Everything else... <laughs> Maybe generally in life, we're not no, doing no, so I, well. I see what you're saying, and I, that okay. I, I see. I didn't even get that. That's mm -hmm. that's really cool. The idiot savant thing. I haven't heard that term in so long, but yeah, but yeah, soul savant. They're only yeah. I like that. That <laughs> yeah, that doubles up. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and my wife, um, you know, even though you're out of the music business and stuff, um, you'll be driving around and something. Hey, this is a good name for a band. Blah blah blah. And it was always something and the uh -huh. and she'd go billy it, no bands call that anymore nobody says and the well, eric burden uh, and the animals and, yeah. Right? yeah well that was still the 60s yeah. <laughs> right, right. and it was the animals first and then eric got a little little well, how uh, many times did that happen uh, uh gary puckett in the union gap yeah. all these bands in well the 60s i mean that... now it's maybe needs a comeback i think that well and, uh, needs uh, all, to come back. there's always that circle you know things what mm -hmm. goes around comes around and maybe that will maybe what we're talking about maybe somebody will open up a place like what you're talking about bob seger and the silver bullet and band. the silver bullet band yeah. Bruce Springsteen in the D That's Street like, Band. Yeah. But uh, on but off it, night, he's the D Street Band, but I think it's the <laughs> It all depends if it's open tuning. <laughs> That's right. And the, um, low D, the low E band. But anyway, we, we raised like $40,000 that night for charity. Was this at, was this uh, at um, uh, Beau Rivage? Beau Rivage. Beau Rivage. wow. But, yeah. And then I own Mosaic. So we used to do this thing called Mayfest where we would close down Government Street and get Sound Associates out of Mobile to put a stage on one end of the street and a stage on that. the other end and have bands all day long, you know? So we, we went and headlined that 
and uh, and then, you know, I man, I got it out of my system. You know, I was like, gosh, it's you know, Hank. Musicians are a pain in the ass. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you how bad it is. We went to do that uh, Ground Zero show. It's a two-hour show, and when I do a show, I don't take breaks and stuff. I just do a. It's like a concert format. So about a month ahead of time, I got everybody the music, and I kept going, okay, rehearsals and all that. Zero rehearsal. Yep. Zero rehearsal. And that band sounded like they'd been together 20 Buddy, Buddy had told years. me that before. He goes, man, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. He goes, we haven't had any rehearsals, but but they're the, they have the, they're quality musicians. Oh, yeah. So it's just and telling that, the key, and oh, they're off and running. That's what I want to make sure I said, too. Um, yeah. I have been blessed I mean, from the very beginning of uh, being in bands, of always having the top musicians around, or at least in my eyes and everything. Um, and it just makes it so much easier on a front man because uh, the musicians can carry you. Oh, absolutely. You're not going to have a great vocal night every night, particularly right. if you got to sing more than one night in a row, which I don't think I could do anymore. Well, it can always fall back on all right now. Or, or just pre-record my voice <laughs> mac taylor <laughs> my buddy mac love mac taylor but well, at least you're smart enough or not, and i wouldn't say even smart enough like i mean we know you're smart but i'm saying to surround yourself with the best in your opinion like the best musicians mm -hmm. that you can conducive to what you're doing and, and make it easy and then scott henson he's the one who said you know the best advice i can give someone is surround yourself with people who are better than you because right. it's going to elevate yourself exactly so exactly. that was sort of the concept of soul savants it was it was like an honorary position yeah you know, uh, uh and i thank thomas mostly for that for you know uh but of course johnny and daryl were old old friends of mine but anyway the way that all came about was when johnny died um i posted something about you know there's a Mississippi Music Hall of Fame, and unless you're from Jackson or Northward, you ain't in it. That's true. I never oh, thought wow. of that. That's true. And so um, I said, you know, we should have like a local musicians Hall of Fame. And uh, Mayor Billy Hughes over in Gulfport saw it, and he called me and he said, Billy, man, I've got the building for you and all this. This is right before COVID, and uh, it was the old train depot mm -hmm. downtown. And so, man, we put together a committee and met once a month. And, well, you know, I, was, I, see, I see where this is going. I was like, uh, you know, uh, things don't get done that way. You know what I mean? When when you have a vision, it's got to be, you know, somebody ramrodding it and all that. Mm -hmm. Then COVID came along and it just kind of dissipated. Mm -hmm. But but my, my thought was, and I probably told Hank to his face before, I have so much respect for the courage that it takes musicians to give their lives to bring joy to people. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not a path to, you're not doing it for money. No. You're doing it because you love music. And I don't even think that's uh, that many musicians set out with that that goal. I think it just is part of it. You know, it's the love of music. Right. I mean, that's that's it. But a lot the of folks music. But a lot period. of folks love music. That's right. But they ain't got the courage to say I'm devoting my life to yeah. it. Yeah. Um I, I, my saying about it is you're not a Gulf Coast musical legend 
until we've passed the hat to bury you. You know, mm-hmm. and it sounds sad, mm-hmm. but but it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've had a lot of great musicians down here on the coast. A lot of characters still do. I mean, not to say that they're they're the, you know not still around, but man, some of the stories is the old. <laughs> Some of those guys, and and we were babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy and I were the young ones coming up when these guys had already, you know, Ray Funies and, and, mm-hmm. and David Dudley, Dave Dudley. Oh yeah, all those guys. Wayne and, Sharp. I, I well, can't believe Wayne. I didn't m- mention Wayne. We got Wayne. We got what Wayne a, Sharp. Actually, he's we interviewed him last two part. We're, we're still finishing that editing up, but it's yeah. it's a w- good one. Wayne um, in 1965. I'm 10 years old. Um, used to run around with my sister Kathy. And I'll never forget, he came to Corley Street there out in West Biloxi and pulled up in his psychedelic painted hearse, which was He their, talked about the hearse. Which was their <laughs> their band equipment. Right. Thing. Yeah, he didn't mention that. The, the Neil Young School he, of He gets purse. out of this thing. He's a toothpick. He's yeah, this big still around, is. And he's got long blonde hair down the middle of his back. And I said, God damn, that's what I'm going to be. <laughs> 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 I tell Wayne, Wayne that all the time. You know, I, I've always called him my big brother, and he, and he said, I can't believe that I'm the one that set you on the roads that you, you've been on, Billy. But, oh, wow. but I love oh, him. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's yeah. good stuff. Uh, he's such a good guy, and, and he is a black man in a white in white oh, skin. Yeah. He is he's a oh, soul brother. Oh, yeah. And look, and true uh, to form. Um, when I own Mosaic, uh, I remember him coming to play up there. Uh, his son, Miles Sharp, has, has a, a little uh, band that they put together. Mm-hmm. And Wayne was going to come be special guest, uh, and I'll, I'll never forget him pulling up and wrestling that B three. I can't imagine. B threes are huge, and they so weigh thousands. And then pounds. there's Leslie, you yeah, know, the Leslie that. cabinet. And, and I swear he didn't weigh 125 pounds, you know. But uh, that night, um, George Mills was there too, uh-huh. and George uh, and Wayne and I, uh, with Miles band back, did Tupelo Honey. And that was like a transcendent experience. Well, I can only imagine with that B three and and his his chops. Oh, oh, oh and George, you know, and back, George, so. yeah. Um, we should get George on the show too. George is Elaine Stevens, you know, whose daddy oh, yeah, uh, yeah. owned Gus Stevens. I knew and 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 her brother. I knew that. I one of my first gigs yeah, was Gus. at uh, jo- uh, uh, the old Stevens Stevens Hot Grocery, right? Right, right up the. Well, her her uh, brother in law was there that night. Uh, that Wayne and George and I did that. And he wrote the, the greatest letter to the editor about how he had been to Paris. They'd just come from Paris watching master chefs, you know, uh, doing their artistry. Right. And we've come to this little place in Ocean Springs and we got to see masters at work. Wow, that's a high compliment. Oh, it's the best uh, a compliment ever. And at the end of it, uh, he goes, uh, Nobody in that building needed to go to church Sunday morning because they, they had been they had been to schooled right. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's interesting. Uh, you know, talking about uh, Johnny and Daryl, uh, Daryl, f- phenomenal keyboard player. Just I, I was lucky enough playing a couple bands with him as well um, at at uh, Island View. But he uh, did uh, tracks. And I have a couple of his tracks. I think one of the things, R&B stuff, Allman Brothers, he was great at that. But but he was really good also. Another thing, uh, Forte, was uh, New Orleans music. 
He had the chops. He had that New Orleans Neville Brothers funky meter stuff down. And I have a couple tracks that I still use. I use uh, um, Hey Pocky Way, and I do Second Line, and I do another one. I can't remember what it is. About Sneak and Sally. Yeah, Sneak and Sally. Yeah, you're right. And, and so when I do my gigs and I play those songs, he's not gone. He's with me. Yeah. And I hear him, and he's playing. And it's Daryl. It's it's. It you know, is Daryl, and that makes me feel good that he's. When, and I tell people that when we when we did the uh, Mayfest show, uh, which was the second Soul Savant show, the first one Daryl played a keyboard that kind of emulated a B three, but for the second one, uh, uh, Daryl had kind of fallen on hard times, yeah. and he'd sold his damn B three. You know, I rented a B three from Sound Associates for that show for him. Did to you play. really? Yeah, because that's awesome. He deserved it. Yeah, and you know, by that time, his health was getting to the point where, you know, we were worried about him being able to come yeah. up the steps to yeah. the stage. And everything. he was in bad shape. Um, but God, what a, a monster! And a nice guy. He was a, oh, such yeah. a sweetheart of a guy. I I saw him. If it wasn't the first night, it was one of the first nights when he came down. I think he was originally from Birmingham or somewhere, somewhere in upstate Alabama. But but. Um, Joe Zapata had expanded the Zapata's Revolution from a trio, and was and he was playing at the Gringos Room, mm -hmm. the Gringo Room, Gringo yeah. or Gringo? Zapata's Revolution, Gringo. yeah. Yeah, and uh, and Daryl was on keyboards, and Daryl had long hair, you know, this is early seventies stuff, and uh, I just and he had this that voice, mm -hmm. Stevie Winwood stuff, Traffic, you know, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Amazing, yeah, and and I remember just sitting there, I can still see it, the stage, I can see Joe and them up there, and just watching Daryl going, holy crap this guy I, I, is so good and I, so i can still see george mills sleeping on my couch on pass road in Bluxy back when he had billy's hole in the wall is that right i mean that, that's how far uh, back we go and you know I, I i hadn't seen george for like over 20 years yeah and i was leaving the gym at the ip um and i'm pulling out and he's loading into studio a i went george and we, we started talking, and, well, what's happening? And I said, yeah, I got a little red-headed son named Wyatt. And he went, I've got a red-headed son named Wyatt. <laughs> oh, Are God. you serious? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was a cool moment. That yeah. is a cool moment. And and we we <laughs> we should really note, too, the massive talent that George Mills yes. is. Yeah, George. Um, my God, you talk about a soulful singer. And uh, George Mills, Johnny Hosey Band, little power trio. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I met George originally. Uh, I was working, I, I was in high school and I hadn't started playing clubs obviously yet, but I was working at Newsom's Music at Edgewater Mall. And Newsom's Music was, was there was two of them. There was the something mine, record mine or something on one end and it was Newsom's. Well, Newsom's was, was the big one. And we had, all the musicians came in to get their 45s and we had a, a really good um, stock of, albums and what was happening and a bunch of guys, a bunch of knuckleheads. We had a lot of fun with that. But George and Elaine Stevens, uh, and I forget, uh, oh, Barbara from uh, the keyboard player, the guy, he wore glasses, uh, Ken Dodge. Yeah. Ken Dodge. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice man. Uh, but they used to come in and get their 45s. And, and George, George was like, I, I always, I think he caught the same train that Thomas did because they're they see the world differently. <laughs> They're on a different path than everybody else. And uh, that's what struck me first about George. And he was such a nice guy. And then I'd never seen him play at that point. You know, I'm 16 years old, whatever. And it was like, oh my gosh, 
You know, he's um, good, and Lane can sing, and man, I, I feel like I'm Lane a, Smith. Excuse me, not I Steve. feel like I'm a I'm a Thomas whisperer. <laughs> there, there are so many musicians that tell me, "God, Thomas, man, you know he's intimidating. He's oh, is well, he well, intimidating? Well, other musicians are, you know, because Thomas, uh, he's a stern taskmaster. Right? And, well, yeah, he's really got vision and tempo, man. You know, he is, uh, uh, he is a taskmaster about tempo, but. But a lot of people don't know how to take him, you know. Absolutely. And, and I've just known him for so long Absolutely. and stuff. Um, his his family background is English. Yes. So he, a dry wit is part of his national heritage. There, well, know? there's dry wit and there's Thomas Wit. <laughs> or Thomas Wit. But see, I met him. We played little league baseball at Keesler. Yeah. We were eight, nine years old. Well, that reminds me to, to tell the story about Hank Berman. This is how long I've known him. This is about 1970 or so. Maybe sixty nine seventy. We're over to a friend's house, Norman Collins, and yeah. Um, oh, I know. And and Hank was learning his first little Neil Young song. Yeah, you know, oh man, look yeah. at my life, and figuring out them chords and stuff. Uh, yeah. I didn't know, you know, <laughs> God, forty, <laughs> fifty years later or whatever, I'd, I'd be singing with him yeah. at the White House. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. That's it. in fact, I was playing in Ocean Springs. You came up and said, asked me to play the Neil Young. Old man, and I played it, but my voice was a lot higher back then too. Jesse, uh, <laughs> without the alcohol, and he he was playing playing at the Roost, you know. Yeah. So I came down there, and it, it was like the start of his last set or whatever. Yeah. And I sat there politely, and you I did. led the applause for him and all that kind of stuff. Well, some bitch never did it. Ask me to get up and say, I was ready to go. <laughs> So I told him, you know. What I, <laughs> I said, well, don't, "Don't be asking me." I'm going to ask you twice next time. So, yeah. so if you, the, um, all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do all right now. The um, Ground Zero Blues Club thing, because I do uh, uh, shows. You know, they they wanted uh, longer than I was willing to commit to yeah. doing. So I was lucky enough to call Hank. Yeah, and uh, Hank played the show with us and stuff. So I had built-in crowd from Hank's folks, you know. And, That's a good oh, call. Oh, Hank, Hank oh, brings no, a crowd, man. They, they, well, they had the, the Billy Miller crowd was there, too, without a doubt. But it was fun. That's a great and that, and that was for a good cause, wasn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little Chris, Christmas show. Yeah, I the, try and all, all my toys. Soul Savant shows, I, I try and tie to some kind of charitable I think that's thing. great, See, man. my dad's band does the same thing. It's because y'all have... It's sometimes not about the money. It's more no, it's about, giving back. It's, it's giving, giving back. Uh, it's also being on the stage, doing what you love to do. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, you know, if you're in it for the money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Uh, hell I yeah. agree. Hell yeah. That's why Brennan gets all the money in the tips. <laughs> well, he's a little whippersnapper, that guy. He, uh, he's, yeah, and I'm, glad, I'm glad we brought up his name because. You brought I, up I, his name. Brennan Roybal. <laughs> well, Brennan Roybal. Uh, my little brother, Brennan Roybal, um, it was around 21 when he started coming around Mosaic and stuff and asking to sit in with the bands and all that kind of stuff. And um, he was finding his voice. You know, he, he he wasn't quite a singer at that point now. But nowadays, I tell him, you're the second best singer on the coast now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even have to ask you the first best. <laughs> no, I, Brennan, Brennan's got a good voice. Like, yeah, I, I've heard him, great he voice, does. hell oh, of a piano player. And a one million songs yeah, in his head. Man. He's, he's an encyclopedia. Uh, and, and not only that, keyboards, uh, drums, bass oh yeah yeah like thomas but yeah just... one of the first times i met him he pissed me off immediately <laughs> I, he's good at that <laughs> yeah so he, he we were talking and i i forget where it was we were both playing or somewhere and he uh 
He said, yeah. He goes, I, I remember when I first saw your name uh, uh, that you were playing. And I said, really? Where was that? He goes, it was uh, uh, Aunt Jenny's over on, on uh, Washington. He goes, yeah. He goes, I was like eight years old in the back of my mom and dad's car, and your name was up there. And I said, really, you little bastard? Really? You're going to go there? You're going to do that? And, of course, Brennan just gave me that grin, you know, yeah. that smart-ass grin. And it was like he knew what he was doing. <laughs> I, I, um, uh, Brennan sometimes uh, – uh, it was we'll call, need to call out at the White House, you know. And Hank, yeah. Hank and I uh, play, have we played up there together twice. I say now? twice, yeah. And um, uh, it was kind of a revelation revelation for both of us, because um, I think Hank and I really hadn't played together. Yeah, it's right. amazing. We've known each other and have been friends for a very long for time. a long, long time. Yeah. But we are so simpatico. It's it's incredible. Yeah, you made a comment about that that night too. Something about how we were we you know, took this long to to discover. Yeah, you know, we're you know playing together. Thank God we're not dead yet. No, you know? no, let's let's yeah. let's not do that. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, give me some of your. Do you have any shows coming up or anything like that? Um, I play at the White House Hotel every Wednesday night. We've been there since um, July. I guess it's you know like the house band residency, whatever you want to call it. That's me and Brennan, and right now it's me and Brennan and the great Buddy Leach playing sax, Leach. which is you know George Thurgood's sax player, mm -hmm. and Buddy is an arranger and accomplished musician. Mm -hmm. And uh, Thomas and I uh, use Buddy's studio um, to do our rough demos and stuff, the songs we're writing. And I did want to say uh, a song that Thomas and I wrote uh, called "Big Secrets in a Small Town." Um, we did it for this. Uh, pilot for a tv show that i was in called blackwater blues which is set here in ocean springs i saw that fictionalized as blackwater but um uh it didn't get picked up for blackwater but this lifetime movie that i just finished um picked it up so it's going to be uh, in the end credits and there's also a scene where characters like working on his boat and it's got the radio on in the background. And it's on the radio? And it's on the radio. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, wow, man. Be and sure to post that. We can get, we can. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, man. It's a I really, saw that you were cool doing, song. you were, I saw you in a clip. It was like a movie clip or it was a movie mm -hmm. they were doing down here. And I was like, well, there's Billy Miller. That's I think cool. you, you threw the F bomb a couple of times. Like, there you go, Billy. <laughs> that's my boy. He made it. He made it. And, and grab my testicles as I was. Yes, I'll leave my which, testicles. Which long. is a little classic Biloxi boy salute. Oh God, that's, that's true. Oh, you have to ask uh, the, your your question. You ask all our guests. Oh, that's right. Um, no, I can't give you any money. <laughs> all right, and that'll be it for the night, folks. Have a great one. No, that's um, it. So I always end off our interviews with this. If you can give a word of advice or encouragement or uh, anything you want to say to up-and-coming musicians who are saying here i want to be a music musician or somebody who just started or somebody who's in the in the thick of it and they just can't get to that next goal that they're trying to reach out like what would what's what's something that billy miller would tell them i, I think I, I would tell them to re remember that music isn't a goal-oriented pursuit don't believe that you have to sell albums and reach the masses and everything believe that you are bringing joy to people when you play music and and just think of think of it as that and as a pure thing um and don't give up um you know if you if you have talent you you got talent it it will out um if you don't have talent it will out you know and you'll finally get the message uh, but most folks do 
And if they surround themselves, just like Scott Henson said, when you're learning guitar or drums or whatever, try to play with people that are better than you because it forces you to grow and adapt to the higher quality of playing. And lastly, don't be a lazy some bitch. Work. There are so many musicians that it just infuriates me that if they would spend the time being creative, you know, um, one of the things that kills me is I bet you for 20 years there have been 40 songs that every band does down here. And, and part of it is because everybody has to catch as catch can. You have to make money. So you're in this band, that band, that, this, blah, blah. So nobody advances. And part of being a musician is educating the audience, bringing them stuff they would never hear and putting your own spin on it and making it your song. Um, and don't be ashamed of uh, saying, oh, we do covers or whatever. Man, Joe Cocker did co covers. Elvis Presley did covers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ray Charles did. Willie Nelson doesn't. You know, you can write, but, but also the things that influenced you, make them your own. Show people where you got your soul from. And uh, you, you do the song well enough, I don't care if it's been done by 20 people. You can make it your own. That's good advice. I like that a lot. That was very well said. Yeah. Mr. Billy. Thank you. Thank you so much. And he's not even in front of a jury. Did you and, see that? That's pretty and, awesome. And it's, two, it's funny. Heads. It's funny, too, because when I came in here, I was going to go all Marshawn Lynch on y'all. Oh, by all means. You know, it was like, <laughs> like mm, yeah. Mm. Just nothing, just grunting. <laughs> yes and no. I'm just, I'm just here because they told me That's I have right. to be here. <laughs> Hank, Skittles. Hank said, you have to be here, Billy. Mm, thank Actually, you, I, I was here at 1237. I, I was in court this morning, and um, this trial was going on. And at 11 o'clock, I stood up. I rested my, my case. I said, Judge, I got to do a podcast <laughs> at 1 o'clock. I swear to God. <laughs> and the judge, judge used that as an opportunity to pause and bring me and the other attorney back and wrestle the settlement of it. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lord. I was so afraid I was going to be late. You know, well, no, no, no. See, see we, we, we helped. I hope we helped. Oh, out you did. Client. You did. Because I was bored to tears. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. We're, uh, well, hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank thanks, Billy. Thank you. Really, I know this you took great. it. He's in a suit, ladies and gentlemen. He came back from court, but he showed up here today and that means a lot and, well, and all the words you said about past musicians and the past establishments yeah i feel like that's it's we're, we're building something that's honoring the past that we're not, we're not we letting it die we exactly. want it to live on at, in, in, in any exactly. way we can exactly uh, and it's part of it as well so that's yeah that's uh, awesome I, i'm i'm really honored that y'all um, asked me to do this right. of course you know? yeah well i'm jesse hill i'm hank berman and i'm billy miller and until next time see you later from the high note podcast we, if we don't see you here we'll see you here Oh, God, Thomas. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> you got some time. You'll have a good one.